0: The IAB Australia podcast. Digital advertising leaders and the issues that matter. How do we make it simple? Try to stop a lot of the buzzwords. A chance to change the way a whole industry works. For more information, visit iabaustralia.com.au. Welcome to the
1: IAB Australia podcast. I'm Gay Leroy, CEO of the IAB and Oz. Today, we're going to tackle some really big, chunky issues relevant to business leaders from all sides of the digital advertising ecosystem, business transformation, and as well as a bit of a discussion on the current economic challenges for the market. To help me navigate these big issues, I'm joined by Warren Jensen, who's the President, CFO and Exec MD for International for LiveRamp. Welcome, Warren.
0: Well, Gay, thank you. It's my pleasure to be with you.
1: Um, I'm hoping you can, you can help with some of these major business issues that, um, everyone's tackling. We'll, we'll do our best to help, help marketers out there.
0: Well, I Um, I will do my best.
1: Fantastic. Um, in, in this series, we're, we're trying to get to know the people in our, in our industry, both from, from senior through to junior. Um, both to, I guess, get people excited about the industry, but to encourage talent to enter the industry, both at a junior level, but also from other industries. You look like you've had a really interesting career that's mostly hovered around sort of the media entertainment world, albeit it seems like from a financial background. What drew you to to media?
0: Well, you know, it's pretty interesting, Gay. Um, I, I would tell you that I think I've been incredibly fortunate to work at, you know, some of the most transformational companies on the planet. You know, it's some very transformational times. And so in some ways, I would say that, you know, that set of experiences is really what brought me here uh, to LiveRamp and doing what I'm doing and and also to this industry. Um, And there are a few, you know, of my experiences, you know, that really come to mind and and kind of stand out when you ask that question. Um, When I think of, you know, the entire subject of data, uh, in one of my career stints, I was CFO of Delta Airlines. Uh and I always said that the airlines were the original big data companies, and, and they were when you think of you know the complexity of pricing and networking of which plane do you fly, how much do you charge, and 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 so on. Uh and it was the airlines in some ways that really figured out how to use data first. Um there were also some pretty interesting things from the airline uh that are incredibly applicable to the work, you know, that that I'm doing today around data collaboration and uh and partnerships. And that was really code share. Uh and as I thought about code share, that really shaped my thoughts around how you should think about data collaboration. Um and a, a good example of that is, you know, CodeShare worked for really three reasons. You know, first, it was great for the consumer. You know, second, it was great for everybody that participated. So Qantas had, has a code sharing relationship with American Airlines and, and both win. Uh, but most importantly, it was, you know, it all started with the consumer. Um, the other thing from the airline, uh, industry experience is it shaped how I thought about partnership. Um, it was during the period that I was there that we partnered with Priceline and really put Priceline on the map. Uh, we also said, you know what? We, if we partnered with United Airlines, we could start our own digital tra- travel agency, and out of that, Orbitz was born. Uh, the the second experience, which is probably you know the highest profile of all my experiences, uh, is that from Amazon, where I was also CFO. Uh, and if you think back to the early days of Amazon, it was you know really truly the wild west. But, you know, a few things, I, I could talk about a hundred things, but a few things stand out for me, you know, experientially. Uh, first, I learned about the connection between data and the customer experience, because data is the key to great customer experiences. And I, I've, you know, made the claim, and I think this is correct, that the first great example of, you know, data-driven digital marketing was a very simple email called, I think you might like. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was revolutionary at the time. Everybody goes, you know, wow. You know, they know exactly what I want. And, you know, how awesome is that? Uh, and I think those emails, if memory serves me correctly, had literally like a 35% conversion rate, you know, attached to them because people were just so blown away. Yeah, You know, and it was really digital personalization. Um, so, you know, big deal and a big, big part of my learnings. Um, two other things from Amazon, uh, and this is in large part, you know, given Jeff's obsession with the customer, uh, I really learned how to put the customer first in decision-making. You know, and we're in an industry that, you know, we talk about data. Of course, we talk about ROI. We talk about, you know, a lot of things like that. But, you know, the first thing that you always have to remember is it has to start with the customer. Uh, And, you know, and that sort of thinking for me really came out of my time at Amazon, and then finally i'd uh, i'd also say that during that period i really learned how to ch- challenge paradigms uh you know you could take any traditional thinking and throw it out the window we were inventing e-commerce uh we were inventing how the consumer wanted to you know interact with an e-commerce website what they wanted to buy how they wanted to buy how they wanted to to, to discover uh and i think that is incredibly applicable to our industry today uh if you think about really, you know, what's going on in the world of retail media. You know, in many respects that that's about challenging all kinds of traditional paradigms and and, you know, letting your mind run free. So, you know, add all that up and a whole bunch of other stuff and a bunch of battle scars. And that <laughs> that that brought me to where I am in this industry at at LiveRamp.
1: Yeah, fantastic. And you're still you're still in there. So it hasn't, you know, you haven't burned out from from all those experiences. Um, so it sounds like you love, I guess, that customer experience piece as well as change. I, I worry sometimes in the digital ad market because we have got so many different players in the mix that, that consumer that, you know, that personal understanding is, is sometimes, sometimes lost. Um, and we have to work really hard to remind ourselves of each role, um, of the different organizations, particularly the ad tech companies and how they add to that customer experience because it can get, can get a little fuzzy at times.
0: But, well, you know, it all, it all starts with the customer and it ends with the customer. Um, you know, we, we we buy experiences and uh, I, we can never forget that.
1: So thinking about the different companies that you've worked with and, and the clients that you're working with day to day, to have a company that's ready to transform, and that can mean a lot of different things in terms of what that transformation might mean, Um setting a company up for success to be able to transform successfully are there are there any sort of common themes that have that you've seen that have worked well or have you know put the case backwards
0: you know um let me just you know think on a, a few experiences that i've had you know where i could share i think some real life examples of a transformation um, it, it was pretty interesting. Gay, uh, I think it was just about a, a year ago. It was right after really Europe started to open up after COVID. Um, I was invited by Carrefour to go to Paris and speak at their Digital Day. They held a big, you know, meeting for uh, all the financial analysts and for all the European press to, you know, go through their digital transformation uh, strategies and lay out their goals and their commitments and, and so on. And, uh, when I was, you know, on stage, I, I made the following comment, and I think it's so relevant to this question. And that was, I said, if, if you take, you know, the top 100 companies and I could say, let's take the top 50 Australian companies. And if you and I had access to their three year strategic business plans and we put it them up, put them up all, all on the wall and we could, you know, read each one of them. I'm pretty sure that in 45 of those 50 plans, maybe 48 of, of the 50, you would find the words digital transformation somewhere in there, mm-hmm. you know, because the world is changing, you know, we're onto, you know, internet 3.0 and it's, you know, AI and ML and, you know, everything that that is, you know, changing the world very rapidly as we, we speak. Um, so I think this is super, super topic or topical. So with me, um, let me share, you know, a few things that I think are very relevant. Uh, and I'm not sure what comes first, but I'm going to put uh, this first. And that is, I think it's really important as you think about your digital transformation strategy uh, to find absolute bedrock. You've got to know what the problem is you're trying to solve for, you know, and that's to find truth in your reality. Uh, and I believe, you know, as I've studied different companies and, you know, different experiences I've had. You know, many companies that fail, they actually don't know the problem they're solving or they don't accept their reality. Um, I had one experience. It, it's, you know, a financial one, but I think relevant to, you know, this topic. Um, I'm CFO of Electronic Arts. And this I can't remember what year it was, and, and it doesn't really matter, but we had just been on a roll. I mean, you know, like we were blowing it out. I think we had 10 of the top 10 video games in the holiday period. And, you know, our financial results were just incredible and, you know, just we were on a high and we reported out our numbers on our earnings call. We gave guidance and then literally like the next week, somebody, one of the people in our studio calls and says, you know, one of our titles is going to slip. And I'm going, you know, what, you know, because that just blows your quarter up. And then, you know, on top of that, we ended up finding out that all of our return assumptions were wrong and, you know, what we thought was going to be returned, it was, you know, in multiples of, of that. So the long and short of it was we had to pre-announce our earnings. You know, we missed our numbers, you know, just we hated it. And, um, Larry Probst, the CEO and I went on kind of like an apology tour with the financial analysts and we went to, uh, it was the Janus fund in, in Denver. And one of the premier, you know, fund managers, you know, pulled us aside afterward and he said, you know, he said, I've seen this about a hundred times, you know, companies come in, they miss their numbers, they apologize, but they actually really don't understand the problem. And so they miss three more times before they actually figure it out. And I think that that is incredibly applicable as you think about digital transformation is, you know, it's really, you know, doing your very best to ground yourself in, in, in reality. Um
1: And is that often missed because we're not looking at enough signals, enough, or we're not looking, you know, thinking creatively enough around what could could come at us?
0: Well, I think it's looking at, you know, certainly looking at signals that are apparent to you and it signals, you know, that you, you know, they're going to be over the horizon Mm -hmm. because I think to understand, you know, what's going on, you certainly have to understand your own current reality and what's happening, you know, about you at the time in the market with your customers, you know, what's working what's not working what are they asking for that you're not providing uh but i think it's also and and this gets to i think you know the second point about really setting a vision is you then have to be able to get over the horizon and actually you know have a vision for what it is you're going to create and then really in very concrete terms really build the plan that you know that, that will solve for those issues uh And then I also believe, and I think Amazon is a great example of this too, the time that I spent there, which is, you know, maybe the greatest transformation, you know, of all time. Um, if you go back to, you know, around the year 2000, uh, for anybody that's listening to this, that, you know, was around that time, it was Amazon.bomb. Uh, it's hard, you know, to remember that, but, you know, the market said we were going bankrupt. Uh, the stock was at seven dollars. I mean, literally, you know, $7, you know, where now it's in the, measured in the, in the thousands. And I think that the thing that, you know, that made the difference and that allowed us to really transform that company at that time was one, we did find bedrock. We knew our issues to, again, I give full credit to, you know, Jeff and the leadership team is we had a vision of what it was we wanted to create and we never let go of that vision. And then we took concrete steps to deal with, you know, problems that we had where we were losing money, you know, where we had too much cost. Uh, but we also, you know, worked to take advantage of opportunities that we were we saw out there. So, you know, it was in that period that Amazon became a platform. We joint ventured with Target. We joint ventured with Toys R Us. Um, we also broke paradigms uh, and introduced used merchandise next to new on the website. And then let third party merchants come, you know, sell merchandise next to ours. And if you think about the world of retail, you know, who in the world would bring used merchandise or a competitor's products, you know, into your shelves to sell, you know, next to yours. And and uh, so um, I I'd, I'd say those are, you know, really two, you know, a couple of really fundamental things and some really good examples of, you know, transformations that worked.
1: And, and and in that mix, Warren, presumably you were trying other bits and pieces as well, like were there, and you don't need to name the failures, but identifying things that are not going to work quickly, was that an important element as well?
0: I, I, yeah, 100%. And, again, I could probably go through 50 examples of things that haven't worked, mm. and it, it's having the courage to try Um, I feel one of the, you know, the things and we see this today and, you know, a lot of clients, when you talk about data collaboration, as an example, you know, one of the things that I mentioned to them is I said, like, don't, don't focus on the things you can't focus on the things you can. Uh, and then you have to AB test, you know, if you want to be good at data driven marketing, if you want to be good at, you know, driving measurable outcomes in your media, you know, it doesn't happen overnight. And so I think, you know, just the ability to A-B test, uh, have the courage to try things, fail fast as you can, but, you know, above all, don't stop, you know, trying because the principles are right. And, you know, ultimately you will build up a tremendous amount of, of expertise and, and knowledge that, you know, will work to your benefit.
1: And, and I guess that that brings me to LiveRamp because LiveRamp's ramps a master of, uh reinvention transformation and and when i was getting ready for this i i didn't quite realize how old the company was and i and i love that the original name was demographics um of the company way back in the late 60s because it it really gets to the heart of you know people understanding that that customer journey side of things um could you give us i guess a little bit of a feeling of the the journey for live ramp over the last few years um you know the separation of axiom and where you've landed from a strategy point of view now
0: Well, it it was pretty interesting, Uh, again, for those who may not know the history of LiveRamp. LiveRamp, I I joined Axiom, I guess, probably 10 plus years ago. And Axiom, we felt, was one of the original big data companies, too. Uh, It had, you know, big relationships with the Fortune 100 companies had been really at the forefront of building, you know, the marketing database. And when We joined Axiom at the time. Our vision as a leadership team was to be the connective tissue between the on and offline worlds of marketing. And in 2014, we bought LiveRamp. uh, And when we bought LiveRamp, uh, it was probably doing, uh, I mean, less than $25 million of revenue. I think there were 48 employees. And LiveRamp was the leader in data onboarding. And Axiom was really second. We had been investing in our, our technology and fast forward to 2018, um, LiveRamp had become you know several hundred million dollars of revenue. It was able to stand on its own. And then we went through our own digital transformation. And at that time, we actually sold Axiom. And so I, I, I laugh that we uh, uh, we sold something like 90% of the revenues, 100% of the cash flow. We went from 5,000 employees. Employees to 750, you know, but yet our we we tripled our market cap, uh, and you know, and that was I, again, I, I things don't always work, but this was a digital transformation that worked. Uh, so where does that lead us today? Uh, I would say LiveRamp has gone through its own you know evolution, and we go through our own transformation, and we sure as heck have our own challenges, but. Um, the first thing LiveRamp was, I'd, I'd say, we can lay claim to having created the category of data onboarding. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second category I think we can lay claim to is that of people-based identity. Uh, and then the third thing, which I'm, you know, a big part of right now is uh, the work we're doing in, in collaboration at scale. Uh, really allowing our clients and their partners uh to work together again in a very customer centric way uh and that work is you know most noticeable and where you see really the impact is you know what's taking place in the world of retail so
1: in that sort of changing data world, um, and I guess the things that are top of mind for C- CMOs at the moment, there's there's a few factors there that I'm sure are hit- is hitting you and your clients. So we've got um, changes in privacy regulation around the world. We've mm-hmm. got a completely new way of looking at data from a, from a consumer point of view and a business point of view. And then sort of bubbling away in the background, um, more so in some markets than others, sort of economic um, challenges, whether they're already here or on the horizon. Um, I guess out of those topics, first of all, my question would be, what would be the number one um, question or topic that the CMOs are sort of talking to you about at the moment? Or is it all of
0: it? You know, I, I think it's all of it. But, you know, as you're asking me the question, I would say, you know, the first thing is make sure, you know, if your house is on fire, put out the fire. Uh, and, uh, I just given, you know, the scope of my responsibilities, uh, I've, you know, talked with clients and, you know, Australia, obviously this week and, in whether it's the U S or Europe or, you know, Japan, wherever it might be. And I think everybody is feeling the effects of a slowdown. Uh, and so, you know, the number one thing, you know, I mean, I would do as a CMO is you got to deal with that quickly. Uh, and for me, that's really a move to, you know, making all my media measurable uh, and ensuring that, you know, you can generate an outcome from, you know, spending your dollars. So I think that's, you know, near term. OK, I got to deal with, you know, what is right in front of me. Uh, and I believe that most CMOs are dealing with that reality. Uh, um, I think on, on the longer term side, um, I think that. You know, the role of a CMO is incredibly exciting, but it, it's way different than, you know, it was, I don't know, gosh, even five years ago, but certainly, you know, 10 to 20 years ago. Uh, I think the CMO has to be one part technologist and, you know, one part creative because again, they're both important uh, to, to the consumer. Um, on the technology side. As I, you know, mentioned before, it's you just have to understand that data is the key to, you know, creating great customer experiences. And I'd say even more importantly than that is that if your nearest competitor has a stronger data strategy and plan of execution than you do, you know, by definition, every day you are getting behind and you will get beat. You know, it might not be tomorrow, but you will get beat if, if they do that. So I think that's, that's a big deal. Um, I'd, I'd also, you know, share one example and kind of coming back to, uh, this isn't about my experience at Amazon per se in a little bit it is, but there's a fantastic article, which I'd encourage everybody to read. Uh, it was written even a couple of years ago it was by a, um, a BBC reporter. And this reporter, the gist of the article was he had gone to Amazon and he was, you know, adding up and showing all the different ways that Amazon has data about, you know, him or, you know, or his family and, uh, And so I went through, you know, all the visits to the website and, you know, all of that stuff. But then he talked about Alexa and the interactions on his Kindle and, you know, and and it was fascinating. I mean, you you honestly couldn't, he said you couldn't even download the spreadsheet because there were so many, you know, different levels of contact. And then there was a a quote in the uh, article and it was from a former Amazon executive And the quote was this. It said, you know, Amazon is not a consumer company. It's really a data company. And I think this, whoever it was, you know, that made that quote, got it 1 million percent wrong. Uh, And the point of it, which I think is very relevant to a CMO, is that Amazon is a data company because it is a consumer company. And if you want to be a consumer company, you have to be a data company, too. That is the world that we live in. And the trends with, you know, machine learning and artificial intelligence, what's going on in advanced, you know, collaboration and, you know, things like that, just make that uh, really, really, you know, important. Um, two other things that I would say to, you know, the CMO is I think that the, the world of what is first party data is changing rapidly. Um, you know, even five, six years ago, you know, we didn't know the word retail media uh, we didn't think about, you know, if you're, uh, uh Woolies is an example, you know, where you're really thinking about that transactional, that set of, you know, transactional information that you have as a first party asset, you know, when in effect, it's, you know, an incredibly very, very, very valuable asset. Um, so I think the definition of first party, uh, data is also changing and you have to, again, think out of the box. Uh, and then finally, um, I'd encourage any CMO, I think, again, in this changing world, that you've got to start thinking about breaking down the traditional barriers. If you think back with the, you know, uh, advent of digital, every company set up a digital department. And then, you know, you fast forward over, you know, however many years, then people realize. well, wait a minute, there's not a digital department. You know, we are all digital and we're all physical. And so we deal in both, you know, in some ways in the analog and digital world. And so, you know, departments came together because it was one customer experience. Uh, I think that same thing is happening today, uh, in particularly, you know, with retail and CPG, uh and what i mean by that is really the worlds of marketing and data science are rapidly converging um you no longer you know i think one is see you know marketing in one silo you know and the data scientist sitting over you know somewhere with the cto or the cio or you know somebody else uh they're really one and the same solving you know for the same problem so i'd uh, i guess i'd lastly lastly mm-hmm. say you know just again Think about where the world's going, uh, build those skill sets uh, and have the courage to, you know, inside of your organization to really break down, you know, what are some very strong and traditional silos.
1: Yeah, and 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 mix, mix talent up, I guess, because if we think about, you know, retail media becoming a huge thing, so retailers having to hire people to understand media. But on on the flip side, you've got every media company, you know, looking at what their commerce opportunities are as well. So you've got this you know, quite healthy flow of talent across all different companies who are going to need to bring in new skill sets, um, which can, can you know, can be a bit of work for cra- changing that culture and, and creating whatever that, you know, that great offering is and merging those, you know, they come sometimes can be fiefdoms uh, within large large advertising organisations in particular. Um, well, you know, that- mm,
0: yeah. no, I was just going to say, you know, that that is clearly the challenge, but, you know, it's also the upside. Uh, and I, I think that's, you know, what really, you know, is exciting for me is it also creates, you know, a ton of opportunity, you know, and, and for those that, you know, go for it and, and and keep working, they're you know, they'll find, you know, I, I think tremendous value.
1: Yeah, fantastic. I mean, it's definitely we're seeing, we are starting to see more CMOs become CEOs um, and sort of with a role on the board so that that data and that customer understanding um, is going to be sort of a secret to, their success in the future um warren it's been lovely chatting to you i hope you have a a brilliant time on your trip to australia um i guess australians are always a little bit you know we want to know how we compare to the rest of the world are there any you know when you look at the australian market and you don't have to be you know particularly nice to us are there any major differences um, for australia compared to what's going on elsewhere
0: um, I, I would say from, uh, you know, my visits today uh, with many of our customers, I think, one, everybody is experiencing, you know, the same si- sort of global pressures. Uh, everybody's figuring out, you know, what work is like in a post-COVID world. Uh, and that's no different here than than anywhere else. I think uh, some of, you know, the media trends uh, or many of the media trends uh, are playing out here just like they are in other parts of the world. I think there are other parts of the world that may be more advanced, you know for example, in thinking about you know how their approach you know what is I'm using an example their approach to retail media uh, uh others may be ahead in you know thinking about okay, gee, how am I going to collaborate with my partners and what is you know what does that mean but uh by and large, you know the great thing about australia is as I sit here from uh overlooking the beautiful sydney harbor on a spectacular i guess what would be an almost spring day uh, this is a, a country of entrepreneurship uh and you know people that have invented a lot and uh, i i really am uh excited about what's going on here and and what the future holds
1: brilliant thank you so much for joining us today
0: well thank you so much uh again this is really my pleasure it's it was wonderful being able to spend a few minutes Thank you. The IAB Australia podcast. Digital advertising leaders and the issues that matter. For more information, visit iabaustralia.com.au.